This episode is brought to you by Set for Life Insurance. Listen, docs, one of the first steps we took to pay off our student loan debt was realizing we paid way too much for our disability insurance. That all changed when we found Set for Life Insurance. They helped us with a customized insurance policy that met our needs and most of all, budget. To learn more, check out setforlifeinsurance.com. Did you know Locum's docs make, on average, 33% more than employed docs? Got your attention now? So, if you're considering Locum tenants, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or maybe even 20. Locumstory.com is packed with unbiased information and tools to see what the trends are in your specialty and even make a decision if Locum's is right for you. My advice? Make locumstory.com the go-to place to learn more about locum tenants. That's locumstory.com. What's good, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I'm your host, Dr. Nee. I'm joined by... Dr. Renee. All right, so we are in an interview. This is an interview type of episode today. And let's, uh, let me start off by saying that for me, paying off debt... Student loans, credit card debt. What, all the things you hate in the world? These are a few of my most hated things. Get in my own place, honing my clinical skills. Okay, now we're getting into a different, like, I don't know what song to sing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish. Let a brother finish. Honing my own clinical skills for when I practice and then getting an Audi S5. Okay. You know what that was? Those aren't things that you hate. Those were the things that I was focused on when I was finishing residency as well as fellowship. That's what I was focused on. Okay. Right? Like, that was the list. That was the ultimate Dr. Nee Darko list, bucket list of things he wanted to get done when he was finishing up fellowship. Okay, but where am I on this list? So that's what I want to know. What were you focused on when you were finishing residency? No, no, no. Where am I on your list? Hey, that's for another another episode. (laughs) Those are problems that we could talk about another episode. Wait till this recording ends. That's not what we talk about here. <laughs> so for you, what were the things you were focused on when you were finishing residency? Um, Minus Sans Nidarko. Who said you were on my list? <laughs> Anywho, um, I don't know that I had anything very specific. I'm very, you know me. I'm like more like, let's just see what happens kind of. Thing. I mean, I guess I was focused, if I, if I had to say I was focused on anything, at the time, I think I was focused on having an academic career. Okay, so an academic yeah. career. Yeah. I'll leave it to like this, was starting like a new practice in oh, your Oh, definitely thoughts. not. Definitely not. At that point, I knew I didn't even want a private practice, but, um, but like I said, I wasn't even focused on what kind of practice. Necessarily, I was just really more focused on academic medicine, which I guess you could say is, you know, type of practice. But but usually if you're in an academic field or if you're going into academic practice, you're walking into basically a already pre-made right, practice, right, right? right? So I'm saying, like, what if I threw in starting your new practice, maybe having to recruit doctors? Yeah, and no. let me just say, recruit doctors who are more senior than you while you're in fellowship. Okay, What well, if I told you that? <laughs> Well, that's a whole totally different ball game. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Recruiting other staff. Yeah. No. That. Yeah. No. <laughs> and also trying to get ready for fellowship. Uh. No. 
Uh-uh. Yeah. So that is the animal. That is what we are going to be discussing in this episode of Docs Outside the Box. So we have a doctor, a I wanted to say a very forward-thinking doctor, mm-hmm. Dr. Brooke Shuley, who is on here to talk about all of these things that not only was I thinking about, you were thinking about, but also there's other things of starting a new practice, getting more doctors who are more senior than you to mm. work, convince them to follow your mission <laughs> on a practice that hasn't even been created yet, y'all. I'm telling you, a practice that hasn't been created yet, y'all, recruiting other staff, getting ready, and letting them know, hey, I'm not even starting fellowship yet, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we're going to be talking with Dr. Brooke Shuley. She is a concierge psychiatrist and the founder of Shuley Wellness. It's in Scottsdale, Arizona. She completed her medical degree, guess where? Where? You know where, at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Really? UMKC? Yeah, she went to UMKC. I thought you knew that. You didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, she went to UMKC, University of Missouri, Kansas City. They have a six-year program where you get your BA as well as your MD in a total of six years. We have experience with them because we... um, between UMKC as well as Kansas, or sorry, University of Kansas, mm-hmm. all three of us on a medical school basis would get together and have yeah. events and so forth. So mm-hmm. we're, we're very familiar with the UMKC program. And then after she finished that program, she went and did a general psychiatry residency at the University of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then from there, she decided to continue her training and continues her training. She ain't done yet. <laughs> we talked while she's still in fellowship. Wait a minute. Uh, Boss move. There's no wait a minute. She's doing it right now. She's doing her training. Seriously, at- really ain't no wait a minute. <laughs> right. So she she's doing her child and adolescent psychiatry at Creighton University right now. Mm. And um, she's in the last year of her program. And we talked about, well, look, before we get into what we talked about, one thing that I think people may have heard is concierge psychiatry. So I think everybody knows what psychiatry is, but concierge. So for the medical students, the residents out there who are listening, concierge medicine is basically you are paying a membership fee. You as the patient is paying are paying a membership fee. And with that, you get direct access to your doctor. Right. So we're talking about you get like same day appointments. So if you call on a Tuesday and you're like, hey, I, I just need to talk to a doctor, my doctor right now, mm-hmm. you get access to your doctor. You get um, access like a direct bat phone line to <laughs> <Right>. your doctor. <laughs> so if you have an issue going on and you call a specific number, you're going to get directly in touch with your doctor. Yeah. He or she is going to be picking up the phone. That's at 1 in the morning. That's at 5 in the afternoon. It doesn't matter. Right. And then oftentimes, and this is not just psychiatry, but depending on what field you're in, if your patients need direct access or they need subspecialty care, Usually in a concierge model, the doctor is like directly facilitating that that subspecialty care. Mm. So you can get access to whatever other physicians that you need. Um, Oftentimes you can get easy access to labs. You have the ability to get labs done, drawn quickly, all in the office. Mm -hmm. So concierge medicine is like this membership-based system that gives you more of like a traditional based mm-hmm. before government got involved right. before insurance, insurance got companies, involved yeah. it kind of brings it back to more like a pure sense of how medicine mm-hmm. should be practiced now what we talked about in this episode we talked about you know we got really focused and poignant poignant on what we're going to talk about but we really talked about things like what's her typical day like which i think mm-hmm. a lot of people want to hear right why did right. she decide to start doing this thinking about this while she was in residency and definitely mm-hmm. in fellowship 
What's it like building boundaries with her patients? Mm-hmm. How does she develop boundaries with her patients, particularly when she has this type of model? Right. It's psychiatry. You can't be really predict how she's been able to get like a predictable practice and how she's able to give people her direct number. Yeah. You know, Especially how we, while she's still in training. Right, right. And how yeah. she's and then the last thing is like how the hell are you able to convince people who are more yeah. senior than you <laughs> to come what, and work with you on your practice under your name? That's what I want to know. So this is gonna be a dope episode. You're this like, is, uh, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Attending Sir, you wanna come work for me? I tell you. But listen, this is all about forward thinking. This is Docs Outside the Box. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Let's get right into it. What's good, everyone? Dr. Brooke Shule, welcome to Docs Outside the Box. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. So I've heard you to be, be described as a unicorn, uh, mainly yeah. because you do concierge psychiatry. Um, you know, but I've heard you on different podcasts. I've heard you on the Scope of Practice podcast. I've heard you on other video slash YouTube type podcasts also. Um, so I wanted to have you on because it's a very unique way in which you practice psychiatry, um, mainly in a direct, you know, care model or a concierge model. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then we'll jump into some further questions. Sure. So I work with all of my patients directly. So the second they get through my screening process with my care coordinator, they are only talking to me from there on out. Uh, I like it because I see some kind of pro athletes or celebrities or people who really would not want their name to be disclosed or going around a bunch of staff in the community. I'm also the Phoenix Sun psychiatrist. So I discretion is a must. (laughs) Well, after this past year, they definitely need it. They lost yeah. four straight games. Come on, yo. What'd you talk to them about? <laughs> oh, man. I know. It's so hard to be an athlete, too. There's, like, so much pressure. And so I, I love it. I communicate with them by text, email, whatever. And I have fewer people but really spend a ton of time with them. So that's how I like to, to practice psychiatry. So that's what you call concierge medicine. This is basically, um, rather than you, know, you work directly with insurance companies, you technically kind of work directly with patients or in this case, working with the Phoenix Suns players or the Phoenix Suns in general, you work directly with the Phoenix Suns. Um, And that means in some cases, like they have direct access to you, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. not calling your office if they need to reach you after hours, they're calling you directly. Is that correct? That's correct. So if someone, any one of my patients needs to reach me, they contact me via my work cell. Um, They could text, call, whatever, and get a hold of me. So I'm just thinking about like, damn, like I ain't never given my patients my cell phone number, <laughs> right? Never directly to my, so what, what, talk to me about why that works. Why do you do that? And why does that work? Yeah. One thing is because I'm pretty type A. So like, I'm afraid that if someone needs a refill and they call my office, I'm never going to get that message or it's going to be delayed and then the patient's going to be upset. So I like it if they just text me and they're like, Hey, I'm out of my meds. I'm like, no problem. Send. So that's one thing. I like that control factor where there's there's no lapse in communication. And then the second big thing is I think that it just it makes people feel more comfortable when they're dealing with less people in, in the room kind of thing. So that direct kind of care. Um, in terms of the accessibility, like my I love my patients. They are awesome. Like no one's texting me at 2 a.m. They're all really respectful of my time and they're all professionals. So like they don't have time to be texting me at odd hours. So it works, but boundaries are really key. Yeah, I know that uh, boundaries is really important. Let's jump back to that in a second. But I want to also throw one thing that the audience doesn't know, or they may know if they've heard you on other podcasts, is 
You started your practice while you were a resident, right? Is that correct? Did I get this correct? (laughs) You got that correct. This episode is brought to you by locumstory.com. Backdrop. 2012, finishing my fellowship in Miami, and no decision bigger than where and how I was going to start working on my own. And there it was, the fork in the road. Being employed versus something I had never heard of before, locum tenants. So I decided to go the locums route, and I had a ton of questions then. I stumbled a bit, but eventually I was able to stand on my own, and I have been working locums over the past 10 years. Now, what about you? If you're considering locums, you probably have hella questions just like I did. Like, who covers my malpractice? Do I really have control over how often I work? And what are the tax implications? Now, lucky for you, locumstory.com has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from docs just like you. And there's nothing to sell here. It's just a simple resource for information, like finding out what's the average pay rate for your specialty. There's even a quiz to see if locums is right for you. So listen, take my advice. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locums. That's locumstory.com. So I know most of the time when you're finishing your residency, you're looking for your next job, which for the most part is going to be some type of hospital employed gig or, um, you know, maybe private practice possibly or something like that or Mm -hmm. work for someone else and then get your chops up and then start your own practice. But how the heck did you start your own practice while you were a resident? Why did you even have that in your mind? Tell us about that. Yeah. So I had that in my mind because of exactly what you said. You feel like if you finish, you have to either go employed or do some kind of a hybrid model where you're starting your practice, but then doing something else. So I wanted to have everything up and running so that the day I graduated fellowship, I could just easily glide in full time into my own practice. So that's where the the idea came from. Yeah. But most people are like, yeah, like I want to, like, I got to get my chops up. Like, cause you don't know anything about billing at this point. You mm-hmm. don't know anything about, like, you don't have an established patient, um, you know, population that is coming in. That didn't scare you or anything like that? Like, Oh, I was plenty scared. I was (laughs) plenty scared. (laughs) There was many a moment where I was like, oh, is this a big mistake? Am I going to regret this later? And there was lots of doubt, but I just went for it because I'm like, if I don't go for this, I'm going to end up being employed by the end of this. Mm. So talk to me about being employed versus like working on your own. Like, do you have like an aversion to that? Because I do. So like, is is, is that thing, was it that strong that you're like, I got to do something on my own? Yeah. And I wouldn't say aversion, but it's like, we work so hard as doctors to like finish and then do what we love. Right. So I don't want to do what I love, but then be, you know, have C-suite down my throat saying like, oh, you need to have this many discharges or this many admits or see this many consults. That just does not sound appealing. Like, why did I go through all this to have someone else telling me what to do? So I really wanted to create an environment, not only for myself to do what I wanted to do, but for the people who I brought on to join me to like also be empowered that they could create an ideal work environment. Okay. So while you're in residency, you're bringing on people, correct? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. these other doctors? Yes. Other doctors, um, a nurse and therapist. So, okay, hold on. <laughs> so these are doctors who are established, correct? Yes. I mean, they're out, they're board certified. They're out of training. They're basically, they're more senior than you and they're yeah. work. They're saying that they're going to jump into a practice that technically hasn't been started yet. And mm-hmm. when it starts, it's starting by someone who's still in training. 
Exactly. So uh, talk yeah. to me about that conversation. How did that conversation go? That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> well, basically what happened is I had this idea, which concierge psychiatry is really not common. So that in and of itself was kind of unique. And I started telling people about that purely just from like a networking standpoint, like, Hey, I'm here, I'm opening this. I'm like going to do this. And I got a lot of like positive feedback. People were like, Whoa, this is really cool. Like, tell me more about this. And so as I started talking to more people, they were like, I want to join you and do this. So too. nobody and I, and else, I'm, nobody else is doing this. Or is that what you're saying? Like at the time? I think I know of like maybe five to eight national concierge psychiatrists. Really? Yeah. So when you're talking to well-established docs, they're like, huh, this is a great idea, but she's already working on the structure. Let me jump in on her, with her. Right. And not only that, but it's the first kind of multidisciplinary space like this in our area where it's not only mental health and like, you know, psychology and therapy, but also nutrition, coaching, facial skin care, and um, like Botox fillers. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, you know, full disclosure, you come from a family of psychiatrists. Your mom is a psychiatrist. And I think you said mm -hmm. your grandfather is a psychiatrist. Correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what, what did they think about Because obviously I'm sure they didn't start out of residency or while in residency <laughs> or tell me something. How, what did they say when you were like, yeah, I'm going to start it while I'm in residency? Uh, well, my mom was super excited. She was like, I know you could do it. You're going to be great. So she was really excited. My grandpa was always in academic medicine, heavy in research, mm. heavy in juvenile inpatient work in Cleveland, Ohio. So he was kind of like, I don't really understand what you're doing, mm. but if you, if you want to okay. do this, you should go for it. Okay. Okay. So starting on your own, right? Like, cause you know, the way in which we go backwards and talk about things, the recto, mm. recto spectroscope, basically, like everything sounds smooth and, and nice and stuff. Tell us what it was like in residency to kind of figure out how to start your own practice. Talk to us about that. Did you hire a consulting firm or did you do this on your own? Did, like starting an LLC, you're like all of these mm. things, like it's a lot of stuff that they ain't teaching us, right? That's the point of this right. show is like, you're not learning this in, in residency. You damn sure ain't learning in medical school. And I think you did a fellowship also, right? Yeah, so I'm currently in fellowship. So I have. And you just took your July. boards too, right? Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you? Well, I'll, I'm not gonna mention it, but whatever no, no, it was, I, I'm I haven't found out yet. I haven't found out yet. <laughs> so everybody, listen to this. She is interviewing right now. She has two practices opened up right now: one in Arizona, one in California, and she's not finished and has a full-fledged two practices that are doing very well. So that's what's up. Um, so take us through that process of like, yeah you know, how to start, right. how it all started. Yeah. So I think what you said will resonate with all the med students and residents out there is like consulting firm. Like I, I don't have money for that. You know, mm. you're in residency yep. and trying to figure it out. And I think one thing I can pass along is that a lot of people do moonlighting for extra money, whether it be for traveling, paying off loans, whatever it is. I did moonlighting to pay for the startup costs of my business because it's like, I'm loan averse. Talk about averse. I'm loan averse. I'm going to talk outside the box. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. talking about. You need to come on the show and just separately to talk about how you avert loans. I like that. Keep going. Yeah. So I don't like loans for personal things. So I moonlighted. I did a bunch of calls, a bunch of rounding at inpatient psych hospitals to pay for my practice startup costs. Um, and then I just actually quit all of my moonlighting last month. So that was a big exciting moment for me. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, so I'm done, done with that. But yeah, I used all of my moonlighting money as startup to kind of, you know, pay for those things like accounting and, you know, opening a business and 
deposit for an office space and all of those things that so how, how much money. how much do you think initially if i, I know you can't give us yeah. the exact numbers like uh, uh, to the 26 cent like <laughs> no but like in yeah. general like as a resident how much do you think you put out realistically to start this practice yeah what's funny is the commercial furniture was like way more expensive than i ever thought it would be so i think like i want to say my legal fees and accounting and all that good stuff and like the llc probably like $20,000. $20,000. And then for all of my furniture for a 2,800 square foot office space, I want to say was like retail 65,000. So that, I think all of my startup costs were like those two things combined. And you said you took no loans, correct? No loan. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you did it mainly off of moonlighting money. So every, Mm -hmm. so for the medical students who are, who are unaware what moonlighting is, basically that's when you are working as a resident, like the hospital doesn't have, or the the program doesn't have all of your time, but if you have a day off or if you have uh, a vacation, you can actually go work as a practitioner, maybe in the ER or whatever it may be. In her case, she was working as a psychiatrist, I'm assuming, um, you know, in another facility providing services and getting paid for that. So you would take that money and you would use that to start your LLC and things like that, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. So, and then the other thing is time. Like I wake up way too early, I go to bed way too late and I just was would research online like how to do various things. So like, I don't want to pay an attorney to start an LLC. So I figured out how to do it myself. And and mm. so things like that are money and time saving because then if you want to scale, you can do it yourself again. You're not paying a lawyer again to make another LLC. So, you know, I made five LLCs by now. It's like just second nature. Mm. So And all so of that, that, all of those expenses become tax deductible, um, right. which means they lower your taxable income of what you bring in. Um, so I heard you say this on another podcast, but talk about that. You you talked about it really quickly, but you know, if you were to go to a consultant, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's a CPA, they are they are very useful. But when they see the DR in front of your name or the MD or the DO, what happens? It's all more expensive. Yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like trying to buy something during a wedding, right? Or like uh-huh. you know, wedding season, like they just upcharge everything. So right. Yeah, you got to do your research and just really find, talk to other entrepreneurs in the area, um, get kind of good names from other people, kind of ask around about pricing before you tell them you're a doctor. Um, so, And also, I'm really young. So when I approach them, too, I think it's pretty noticeable. Like, I probably don't have a lot of money yet. You tell them you're in training and they know that you're not making very much compared to what you could be making. Right. So they, they should understand that this is a long-term relationship and that they should see you from the beginning all the way to, you know, when you are fully fledged, bringing in a good, healthy income. Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. When you finished residency, mm-hmm. um, how much did you get accomplished in terms of like your business or the practice? What was done by the time you finished practice or you finished yeah. residency? So that one's tough because with psychiatry, residency is four years. But then if you go to child, you spend your fourth year of residency as a first year child fellow. So when I was board eligible, which was this July to start seeing patients, um, that was after my first year of fellowship. So I started working on this at you know, the tail end of my third year of residency all through my first year of fellowship. So that when July 1st hit this year, I opened my doors and I was ready start to start seeing patients. Mm, okay. Now, what has this done to your mindset? Because I'm really interested and fascinated. Mm-hmm. You've already opened up two practices. I'm interested, you know, like 
most people would say, okay, as soon as I finish residency or training, I'm going to go open up my own practice or work with somebody else. But by the time you finish fellowship next year, you already have two practices. I'm mm-hmm. assuming if you already got two, you might as well go to three. You might go to four, blah, 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 blah. Like, this is a safe space. How much mm-hmm. practicing, clinical practicing, do you plan on doing more so towards increasing and expanding your business and scaling it? Talk to us about that balance, if there is mm-hmm. such, and go from there. Yeah, I, I love what I do. And also, I think people respect a leader that's still doing what everyone else in the office yeah, is doing. Yeah, you got to be in the trenches. Yeah, so I, I love it. I think my caseload is a little less just because I do have to focus so much on just like moving everyone into our space. We move into our brand new space in two weeks and like making sure that all goes well. So I have my kind of select grouping of clients and then I focus on them, but it also gives me time to kind of give my love to the clinic too. Mm, Okay. Now, listen, you have currently how many people, how many doctors working for you? I have, well, if you count one of them is my mom. So she's not really working for me. She's working with me. Um, So she joined my Arizona practice, but then her and I started the California one 50-50 together. So the one in Arizona is still my baby. Um, So I have her and two two other psychiatrists right now. I have two psychologists, a therapist, an esthetician, and a nurse. Okay. So you are going 360. You ain't playing. Like you want healthcare and positive health promotion in your practice from the get-go. Okay. Let's circle back to what you were talking about with boundaries, right? It's similar to, you know, you're into real estate and I'm into real estate. We talk Mm -hmm. about that. Like, "Ah, I want to get real estate, but I don't want to get called two o'clock in the morning for a toilet that overflows, right? Obviously, nobody's going to call you about a toilet that overflows. People may be asking you about maybe a psychiatric emergency that they quote unquote feel that they're going through or Mm -hmm. they just feel like, you know, you just get nervous about like, I don't want to get calls all through the night and so forth. Talk to us about that. What is a typical what is a typical night like? What is a typical day like? What is it like working with these people who have direct access to you? Like that is the whole um, that's the point of this type of relationship that you have with your patients, that they can reach you for the most part anytime. But how do you right. set the boundaries to make sure that you can still live your life? You can still go out and have a drink or what have you go from there. Yeah. So I think just having that accessibility actually to, to you, like actually decreases the amount of calls and texts that I get. I think it's almost like that anxiety of not being able to reach you is what drives a lot of like portal messaging and texting and, you know, all these things. Mm. So I'm really lucky that like, I haven't had a situation yet where I was like, you know, Hey, we need to slow down and let's set up an appointment. Everyone is awesome. Like I'm so, super so you lucky. Think, you think most of those things come from, um, not abundance, but the opposite of scarcity. If they feel like they can't get yeah. access to you. Right. And they all can, like I carry my work phone with me all the time. Uh, I have like a second iPhone that's purely for work. So if I get like a unknown call. I always answer it just in case it's like a pharmacy or something. Um, so I, I really like it that way. I think one time I had to tell like a 17 year old, like, you know what, you know, calm down, like, let's talk with your parents in the morning. And it it wasn't an emergency. The kid was just frustrated and, and just like having someone to go to is helpful rather than like TikTok or posting their blasting their emotions on Twitter, you know? I got you. So three o'clock in the morning, they can reach you. Technically, they could, but I I don't even sleep with my work phone on mm, right next to me. It's gotcha. like I I'm not an emergency. I'm not a crisis center. All of my paperwork states that 
it's really just so you could get a hold of me if you need to for any like scheduling, clinical questions, things like that. Okay. All right. So listen, you know, I think we overall covered like the really amazing thing of starting this while you're in residency and obviously technically still in training and thriving and scaling. Listen, for the med students, the residents, the young attendings who are listening mm-hmm. to this, this is maybe their first time hearing about concierge medicine or direct primary care, maybe interested in doing this, maybe don't want to become an employed doc or what have you. What are the three things that you think can help them uh, get to the point where you or get to the point of what you're doing, similar to what you're doing? I think a big thing is overcoming fear. If I look Mm, back, I was really scared throughout this whole process. And then not only that, but then when you're in medical school and residency, everyone around you is employed, right? Your attendings are obviously employed at the academic center. Your grandfather's employed. Yeah, they chose that for a reason. So asking them or telling them what your plans are, most likely you're going to receive back like, are you sure you want to do that? Like maybe you should get a job here first. So I think overcoming fear is a big one because you can't move forward if you're paralyzed by fear. So that's one. I think having a mission and like knowing what your vision is, because I think that's how I was able to grow and get people like you said, like board certified doctors working for me, who's like a fellow, because I had a really good vision and I, they could tell I was passionate about it. And I did deliver at the time. They didn't know if I was going to deliver on it or not. And then like getting a, a coach, there's so many physician coaches out there who it's like, they've already gone through this. They could save you a lot of time and tell you about like how to navigate certain things or the mistakes they might've made And then creating a business plan in which you kind of identify goals, maybe objectives, like how much money you might need to start something like this. So just making it like I always tell my patients, you can't wake up with a 20 item to do list. You have to make it digestible and have like a few things each day, because if you look at a 20 item list and one day you're going to be overwhelmed and most likely you're not going to do it. So digestible, small steps. Yeah, you know what I do? I tell a lot of people who are like, well, how do you keep up with X, Y, and Z? I actually make my list the night before. Mm -hmm. I make like, just like you said, I make three to five things that absolutely have to be done in the morning because I've tried it where I'll have like all of these, you know, electronic versions of list keepers and all of those different things. And in the morning time, you're like, I can't get through any of this stuff. You feel overwhelmed. You don't handle it. But if the night before I said, okay, these are the three things that absolutely by the morning need to be done. Mm -hmm. I could just quickly check them off. It just puts me on a roll. And some of those things are as simple as make your bed, you know, (laughs) just to start you, get me on a roll and stuff. So um, I definitely agree with making shorter versions of of lists. Well, listen, Dr. Brooke, man, this was dope. Um, I'm just saying congratulations to you. Listen, if someone, because you're talking about physician coaching, but if people want to reach out to you and say, hey, I want to get some advice from you on how you did it, um, how can they reach you? How can they learn more about you and your practice? Sure. Yeah. They can reach me through my website, which is just my first name, last name, md.com. So brookshillaymd.com. Boom. Hey guys, we're going to put that in the show notes. Once again, unicorn in the field of concierge psychiatry. Uh, This was really dope. This is really dope, Dr. Brooke. Thank you again for being on Docs Outside the Box. Thank you for having me. There it is. That's it. What you think? (laughs) Boss lady. Yeah, she's a boss. <laughs> a boss lady, for real. Or at least real. she's willing to take some risks that I think a lot of people aren't willing to take. So Yeah, I mean... What say you, Dr. Renee? What's your takeaways? Yeah, I, I think definitely the risk-taking, like, 
you know me, I'm a risk taker. So I love to see things like this where people are like, you know what, I'm going to I'm just going to try it, even though I maybe haven't seen anybody do something like that before. But my my main takeaway, funny enough, is like her doing this, I think, is so reflective of what we talk about on this podcast. And it's, you know, really thinking outside the box, um, especially in comparison to kind of old school thinking, right? Like her experience, particularly with telling her grandfather what she was going to do and him being, you know, old school psychiatrist. Academic Ivy League psychiatrist. Right? And he's like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, I don't even... Who who taught you how to go and... (laughs) Do concierge psychiatry sound like Chris Rock on <laughs> Nobody Taught Me <laughs> on Kanye West's album, <laughs> right? And so, you know, we talk a lot about how you know we're kind of breaking the mold, you know, and we're you know we're doing things that no one has you know either thought to do before or that very few people do, and and we've seen a lot of your guests on the show do exactly that. And she's, I mean, she literally is like almost the epitome of that because. As a resident, you're sitting there thinking about, I'm going to recruit attendings to come and work for me. Like, that's unheard of. And I just love the fact that her mom, who's like the generation in between, like jumped on board, yeah. you know, and so is now a partner. So I just thought it was so indicative of everything that we do here in Docs inside, on Docs Outside the Box. So um, my biggest takeaway is, look, you can't move forward if you're paralyzed by fear. Yeah. Fear plays a huge factor in how successful you're going to be. Fear plays a huge factor in what you deem as risky or not. And to be honest with you, I don't even look at this as a risk that she took, right? Mm -hmm. I think that if you're fearful of things, you perceive certain things to be risky when they're not, or you perceive certain things, bad things could happen when they're really not bad things, right? Right, The worst case scenario is she has two options. She could either be employed, work for a hospital, or actually three things. Employed, work for a hospital, or work at a medical school. Two is have her own private practice, which is kind of similar to what she's doing right now. Mm -hmm. And three, do what she's doing. Either way, she's not going to be in a poorhouse. Right, right. The question is, is doing something that nobody else is doing, particularly in her specialty, is she willing to try it out and see Mm -hmm. how it goes? Right. And yes, and I agree with you. This is, these are the things that we are talking about on Docs Outside the Box. These are the things that we want the medical students, the residents, as well as the young attendings to understand. Mm-hmm. There's multiple ways to skin a cat. Yeah. So for me, we talk about mindset all the time. We talk about how it's important to embrace the growth mindset. This is another example mm-hmm. of someone who has all of the skills in the training clinically yeah. and is now expanding her her thought process, expanding her network by getting coaching, yeah. by utilizing her yeah. upbringing, by talking to grandpa- her grandfather, who's a psychiatrist, as well mm-hmm. as her mother, and then taking the next level and saying that I'm not going to be limited by what they're doing. Right. Let's do something else. So right. for me, it's huge, y'all. Fear is a big deal. And uh, it's something that I think we all got to embrace. The question mm-hmm. is, is how are we going to respect, how are we going to re- re- respond to it? So, yeah, I mean, you know, speaking of fear and you touched on this just a little bit is that what exactly are you fearful of? Are you fearful? Are you more fearful that the thing that you're thinking about doing is going to fail? Or are you more fearful about not doing what you are thinking about doing and essentially either falling into the status quo, into the status quo or staying exactly where you are. And for me, she kind of proved that, 
You know, she was more fearful of just falling into the status quo. Oh, yeah, because she she was very clear. I don't know if y'all caught that. Yeah. She was very clear in saying that, yo, I don't want to be employed. Mm -hmm. I don't want insurance companies telling me what to do. That was her. Yeah. That was the ultimate. I don't know if that was the ultimate failure, but that scared her Mm -hmm. to the point where she was like, yeah, I don't want that. I'm going to go the complete opposite way. And what's the worst thing that's going to happen is, yeah, I feel like, you know, I'm kind of constricted in some form or fashion. So anything else you want to add on that? No, I just, this was a dope, dope episode. Yo, anybody who is out there and is thinking about doing something and you are scared to do it, you need to think about Brooke Shuley. Yeah. <laughs> so listen, Typically. y'all. Listen, we want to hear from you guys, everybody who's seeing us on YouTube. Listen, we have a Docs Outside the Box survey. The link is going to be in the YouTube description. If you're listening on the podcast, it's going to be in the show notes. This survey is in partnership with InCrowd. And when you click on this link, it's going to take you to a very quick survey that allows us to hear from you. It allows us to allows you to let us know what you want on future episodes. If you want episodes like this, do you want episodes where me and Renee are kind of like talking heads, where we're pun, punditry or punditrying or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> whatever it is, we want to know what you want. Listen, it's a quick and easy survey. We're doing it in affiliation with InCrowd, which does medical surveys. So make sure you click on the link. And then also listen. Another way that you can tell us immediately how you feel about a situation, if you like an episode, if you have an opinion, if you like Mm -hmm. our opinion, is text us. Let us know. It comes directly to my phone, to Dr. Renee's phone. You can text us at 1-833-230-2860. Alfred, telethon style. Put it down below. 1-833-230-2860 will also be on the show notes. So, so far, a couple of people have written us and let us know. Justin, we're going to be answering your question very soon. So, um, yeah, stay tuned. Yo, Justin and his feelings, yo. He's like, yo, what's up with this and uh, what's up with that? What's up with the awning and stuff? So, (laughs) we got you, Justin. We got you, all right? So, listen, everyone, we're going to end this episode right now. We got to go pay the bills. So, listen. Let us know what you think. Make sure you fill out that survey and also fill out or text us at 833-230-2860. We'll catch you guys on the next episode of Docs Outside the Box where we are fusing money, medicine, and mindset. Making it happen? (laughs) Almost. (laughs) All right, y'all. We'll see y'all later. Peace. Peace.